Thanks for joining us for Episode 4 of Season 3 of Couples, Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. The first and third Wednesday of each month, we drop episodes with advice, tips, and real-world experience for partnering in business and life. I'm Jody, a business owner and communication strategist, and sometimes I unintentionally scare Glenn, like I'm coming around the corner of the house or down the steps. It's all, all unintentional. Um, but when I do, he does the cutest little jump dance. It's kind of like, you know, you've heard of fight or flight. But I think for you, it's like frolic. That's the other option. <laughs> fight, the, the flight, frolic, or frolic. frolic. Yeah, frolic fright. <laughs> yeah, and it's it costs me about a month of my life every time you do it. I'll try not to do that anymore. Just, yeah, just it's announce yourself. You need some kind of a, an air horn to blow. <laughs> Should I just wear a bell? A, yeah, a, <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Or an air horn around your neck. There you go. I'm Glenn, Jody's partner in life and business. And once I had some jumping beans, some actual real life jumping beans. And I thought, because I saw them on a TV commercial, that they would fly through the air several feet. In reality, they didn't move. They were sleeping beans. Sleeping beans. So disappointing. You know, maybe you should should have scared them. Then they would have been That's jumping, exactly frolicking beans. Right. And we could use the bell on them, too. There you go. On today's show, we talk about surround sound marketing and interview a marriage therapist about what couples need to do to better connect. At the end of the show, Jody tests my knowledge about all things Valentine's Day. Can't wait. Yeah, me neither. Without further ado, let's get started with this episode of Couples Inc. Our big topic on this episode is a thing called surround sound marketing. It's kind of a concept that we're we're kind of naming it that. I mean, other people probably name that name it too, but what do we mean by that? Well, let's say it together first. Ready? One, two, three. Surround sound marketing. Ooh, that was surround sound. Yeah, this is something that I've I've been reading about for some time, and in fact, the term was coined back in the mid nineteen nineties. Oh, so we are not new coming up with that. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's something that I think is just beginning to make sense to a lot of entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. people who may have been employed uh, throughout that time period when this first came up and in the years afterward, or may have started their business and come of age after uh, Surround Sound Marketing was first brought up. It's really based on uh, a strategy called imagery transfer. And imagery transfer, that's where, you know, you see an image mm-hmm. once, and then you see it again. It's used across several different platforms, okay. di- several different uh, places, and your brain replays it. It's sort of like, you know, when you're driving your car and you're maybe uh, you've been drinking or something, or <laughs> your mind's a million miles away. <laughs> we'll just say your mind's a million miles yeah, away, yes. Forget the drinking part, but your mind's just, you know, set on something else. But you see something and it kind of registers to you for later playback. Okay. And you remember that you saw that while you were on the trip. So it kind of, it, yeah. it, it spurs recall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's that has a lot to do with surround sound marketing. There's a couple of things about it that we're going to dig into. And one of them is your business's presence needs to be in several different places at the same time. Oh, yeah. You can't rely on just one place to to market your business or to have your business's brand. Yeah. And I like what you're talking about with, with you know, con- conjures up recall. 
a lot of times we might say, oh, there was a funny commercial or there was a, something I saw. And we don't always remember exactly what the brand was, but we mm-hmm. might have that image. And then say, for instance, at a point of purchase display, we see the same colors, the same character, the same concept, and it reminds us. So we're at the you know actual purchasing decision moment, but it's because we've you know recalled something that we've seen somewhere else on another channel. And it puts that brand back in your presence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you think of all the distractions that are around right now, mm-hmm. especially, and how much noise your brand has to make to get above, or how much strategy you have to use to get above the actual noise that's around, it's pretty pertinent. Well, and now, you talked about in the 90s is when it kind of first became, a, I guess, a theory. Yeah. Compare that to today, how many channels we have now versus then. Yeah, we used to have three channels back then, and three they all went off at 11 PBS. o'clock. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, PBS went off earlier. That's true. Yeah, at the end of the day, we... we uh, end the day's broadcast blah 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 and it was yeah and that's when that's when you'd you would find yourself if you fell asleep on the couch you'd wake up to the static that was your signal that's to wake up that's how the movie starts exactly but um Go put your hands on the tube <laughs> a different kind of static this was not the they're here static okay anyway but when i think of surround sound i think of the importance of making sure that you don't rely on just one tactic Mm-hmm. You can't you can't be everywhere and do it do a good job of that. Um, we've talked about you know for social media you can't be on every single channel, but you can't expect to ignore social. Yeah, nor would you want to really. Mm-hmm. Uh, this strategy goes beyond saturating one particular uh, channel or outlet. It's really more like you have to curate across a spectrum of different places to make sure that your brand gets into the surround sound environment that lives inside people's heads, inside your customers and prospects. Which is so funny that we call it surround sound, but very few of the moments are going to be audio-based. But it is surround. It's the concept of surround sound where you are getting, particularly, say, if you're in a movie theater. Yeah. Uh, and nowadays, you see theaters that have like a progressive Sound Like if a train's coming, you'll hear the train from one part of the theater moving forward, but it's that whole surround sound, so you you feel immersed. Exactly. And so the whole thing is, it's a metaphor for being immersed with these messages everywhere. Think about it in terms of, you wouldn't use one part of a speaker if you had a surround sound system. Right. So you've got that set up, you have your subwoofer, you've got your high frequency drivers, you've got your mid-frequency speakers. They're all supposed to work tweeter. together. Isn't that one of those? The tweeter. The tweeter. The hoofa. The hoofa. The the hoofa. The tweeter. <laughs> the candlestick Mika. Well, tell me again. This the speakers. Woofer. The mid range. Why do I call it a hoofer? Woofer. I don't. Obviously, I am not the audio file in our relationship. <laughs> I had all of you know six CDs and maybe a boombox. This is true. When and we then, met, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, back when CDs were the big deal. Yeah. Um, Jody missed the memo. I didn't, I was not a big sound that, like, with Glenn, oh my gosh, speakers, I mean, he, we've got everything outfitted, and that's, that's his world, so, because I was going to call it a hoofer, you know, and a tweeter. We but, could make a woofer named the hoofer. The woofer, hoofer, woofer. Exactly. I like it. The imagery is, you use everything that's in your system. And, you know, you might have discrete control over one channel or another, 
and, and make the choice which one to use. Uh, your website, make sure that it is up to date. Mm-hmm. Make sure that it's current and it's easy to use. If you're selling physical goods, uh, make sure that they're easily accessible, easily shoppable. And your mobile capabilities also, because that's where a ton of commerce gets done these days, mm-hmm. is through a portable device. And it's almost like you have to curate these shopping experiences for your customers and prospects. Yeah. Just about like opening another location. So that you're, you know the consumer experience is going to be a good one and yeah. um, that you use technology where you can retarget people who leave an empty cart. Sure. And find them on another channel, that kind of stuff. And it goes to SEO also, the search mm-hmm. engine optimization, to make sure that everything is current on your website, on your mobile uh, channels. So that's one potential example of like, okay, you've got to have this. So let's consider that the the woofer uh, <laughs> of the, of the, the surround set or the hoofer. Sometimes you're going to have a lot of base, which may be your email marketing and it is your one of your main communication channels but again you're introducing a new product well pr is probably a really good way to do that because that's a news story um or you are doing something like you were saying with e-commerce well that becomes another channel that you're going to put a lot of resources to and that's probably your consistent you're like what's the middle road that level you know speaker whatever that is in your in your the mid-range bit. the mid-range yeah. so that's so i do like the idea that it varies but oh, you yeah. gotta if if you want to get the full experience, you've gotta have all the channels doing something, sure, and all the speakers doing something Absolutely. that benefits you and contributes to your overall sound. You know what your brand, or you should know what your brand DNA is, and it's it is the colors, the fonts, the type of photography, but it's also the tone, the voice, the personality, and you want all of those. Yeah, that was what I was going to point out next, the voice that you use. Mm-hmm. Uh, the language or the type of attitude that you adopt for your business, whether it's conventional, disruptive, modern, uh, anything in between, really needs to be uniform. Mm-hmm. If you're taking a bunch of corporate speak and putting that into your marketing materials, you can do that. And there's certainly nothing wrong with it if you really have to be safe about something. But make sure that you don't get on your Facebook channel, your Instagram channel, or whatever you're using social, and you know start being this trendy, you know, know-it-all, or this yeah. this punk attitude, or whatever. Wise guy. Yeah, wise guy. If you're yeah, if your brand has a little bit of attitude, it should be consistent across the board if your brand is and that's what you have to think is is your brand a uh, authority an expert well then it needs to convey that is your brand fun and friendly is your brand supportive and caring it should have that that voice and it's not literally you know the voice although that's nice to have a consistent narrator if you have on hold messaging or oh, yeah. radio spots or yeah. whatever but it is like the tone that you're taking. And so that's part of the surround sound is that you'll recognize that's this particular brand or this particular store. Yeah. Um, you know, like you go into a restaurant and it's all bright and cheery and fun, then they're 
Facebook page should also be bright and cheery and fun. Their yeah. Instagram, same thing. The bottom line here, I think, is that there are more tools than ever at your disposal mm. to engage in surround sound marketing. That's a micro tool that you just talked about. Your presence inside your facility, your brick and mortar store. Yeah. You make that experience more customized or feel more customized to your customers, and they're going to be loyal. They're going to convert to brand evangelists at some point. And that's what you, that's what we all want. And yeah. so it doesn't have to be just the big brands or franchises. A small yeah. business can do the exact same thing because you have access to a lot of tools. Yeah. We recently spoke to licensed marriage and family therapist Andrea Dendinger about what couples can do to better connect. So, Andrea, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business, especially regarding work with uh, couples. Awesome, Jody. I uh, I got divorced when I was like thirty years old, and I, you know, was totally lost and didn't know kind of what was happening. And I decided to go to grad school so that nobody had to go through um, a divorce in the way I did. And so that's kind of what launched me in this journey. And I've been working with couples for 20 years. And, but, you know, I always say, like, I think I was born a therapist. I remember sitting at my <laughs> grandparents' kitchen table and saying, like, so tell me, why do you guys sleep in separate bedrooms? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Ah. Yes. I'm, I'm like eight years old, 10 years old, maybe. <laughs> Um, so I think I was always born to ask the questions that are sometimes hard for people to ask and help facilitate those, um, conversations, but it is like my life's passion. It's like, it's part of my soul to do this work. But when you work with couples, you got to be able to ask those questions that, you know, they may not be comfortable with, but it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be discussed because that's. You know, that's where in- intimacy and vulnerability come from. So hell yeah. That's, and hell I, yeah. That's very interesting. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We'll talk more about that uh, hell yeah in a moment. Uh, but there, there is something behind that other than just Glenn you know, <laughs> having a certain... <laughs> Making it not safe for work immediately. Immediately. Uh, Andrew, you recommend regular practices, uh, weekly, monthly, or annually for couples to connect. Now, I've got... Two questions about that. First of all, how do you define a practice? And second, what are some examples? So a practice is anything you do regularly. So, you know, you brush your teeth hopefully twice a day. That's part of a practice. We don't think of it as that. It's a habit. Mm-hmm. But a practice is um, is really anything you do in a regular way. And, you know, we are all living very, very busy lives. And the one thing I find that couples are really struggling with is having a dedicated time to reflect and plan and evaluate. So for me, I created, um, I created this annual couples review to like look back over the last year. And it's, it's a, it's a really cool thing. You, you get to say like, here's all the things we did over the year. And when you do that, it infuses you with a lot of awe and a lot of gratitude. Like, oh, I forgot that we saw your grandmother. Oh, I'm, I forgot that we, um, you know, we had somebody was sick and they got well. I for, you know, it like it it re- requires you just to kind of be present in a different way when you do when you look backwards and see, you know, what what happened. To and be then in the moment. To, uh, to really be in the moment. Yeah. 
um, it, it is a little bit like you're looking in the past, but as you're looking in the past, you're really being like, wow, we went here and we went there and we did this. Ah, right. It's, it's like kind of exciting. My husband will print out our, um, our calendar for the year, not the calendar, but he'll pick out like the dates that we did things. And it's just incredible to see how much you do in a year. We're all moving so, so fast that we forget. And this is something that helps you take stock. It's a, it's a tool that helps you slow down and be present. Actually, uh, Glenn and I printed your annual relationship review um, and had a discussion ourselves uh, about this. And um, listeners, we will include a link to this in our show notes. So you can also download the answers. No, not our answers. I mean, mean, if you want, you know, to, to, you know, try to be like us, you can. No, it's, it was very interesting. If you want to court the chaos, please be our guest. No, we, we printed it out and it's, it's really simple, but really deep, if that makes any sense. It's like, there aren't Mm -hmm. a lot of questions, but each one makes you stop and think. And we had some interesting conversations of things that we hadn't thought about or we forgot about those moments. It was very helpful to kind of put that together. But it's interesting that you recommend scheduling because sometimes people like, well, that seems too regimented or it doesn't feel authentic. But sometimes scheduling is the only way to make these these conversations happen. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Because, you know, otherwise we're scrolling through Instagram or we're, you know, sending a work email or we're, you know, figuring out a play date for the kids. We, we don't, we actually don't take time. And I think it, this was born out of that, you know, when you are working in a company, you get your review every year. Obviously you hopefully get a raise with that or some kind of a bonus or you get recognition, but in our relationships, we don't do that. And it's really a partnership. I mean, the fact that you guys work together and do this together um, you have so many more overlapping um, areas, which is super cool and makes it more complex. Yeah. But when you take that time, you um, you get. I'm kind of curious, like, what are some of the things that you said you guys wanted to work on for this year? Uh, I want Jody to acknowledge that I am the leader of the business <laughs> this year, and I know that's going to be a step by uh, step process. Yeah, so it doesn't yeah. have to happen right away. Not right away. No, no, no not right away at all. Uh, you could talk to Jody in HR about about that. Well, I think well. we know how she feels. I know, right? Um, no, it was interesting because um, we actually both agreed. For myself, it was patience because I even I had that thought, and Glenn was being honest and say, "Yeah, patience." I'm like, "Oh, I know," but he he acknowledges that I've made some serious strides. But yeah, I just. Have. I just am not a very patient person, which I I hate, but it's also sort of the, I don't know, the other side of the coin of I'm very excited and enthusiastic about things. So maybe the other mm-hmm. downside of that type of personality is that I'm, I don't have a lot of patience for people to catch up with me sometimes. So mm. that's one of the things on mine. I'm trying to remember what we had for you. More focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do tend to really mm-hmm. get shiny object squirrel up the tree you know anything mm-hmm. that happens during not just the work day but just during this interview i've had to catch myself yeah. Yeah. and really <laughs> really focus you know and part of that i think andrea you may weigh in on this too is being present and being in the moment am i right about that totally totally and i think you know when you have that like ooh 
shiny object, ooh, like you're just going from one present thing to the next. And you're actually not being the one who's saying like, no, no, I'm actually going to stay focused on this one shiny object. Yeah, I see that squirrel, but I'm coming back to this shiny object. I'm coming back to this shiny object. And that's even kind of what this relationship review does. It's like, yeah, we have a lot of things to talk about, but let's come back to this marriage. Let's come back to this mm-hmm. um, this partnership that we created and just kind of go through. And some of the questions are like, how did we drop the ball this year? Like that's an, you know, sort of uncomfortable to look at, but when we can look at that, that's where that vulnerability and that connection really, really takes place. That is very, it was very interesting the way that that is uh, phrased. How did you drop the ball? How did your partner drop the ball? Mm. I like the phrasing because it doesn't feel like, how did you disappoint me? Or how did you mess up? Or how did you do wrong? It's how did you drop the ball, which means, okay, there's a chance to pick it back up. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it to me, it, that kind of felt like a good way to say, yeah, you know, I did drop the ball on that. And it feels less threatening than here's how you did something wrong. And I, I liked that kind of phrasing, but it is also, you got to take an honest look and say, yeah, I did drop the ball on that. And, mm-hmm. and that is a good starting point for a conversation on, again, what your goal is for the next year. Um, I also like that you recommend people do this every year, but you suggested either the beginning of the year or their anniversary, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting because it becomes sort of um, a tradition almost. Yeah, it's baked in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really like doing it. My husband and I, we do it on our anniversary. And what's, you know, so many people get divorced and it's, um, you know, it's part of our society. And what I love about after we get, you know, finished with our review, he's like, all right, I'm up in for another year. How about you? And it's, you know, it's, we're joking when we say it, but there's a real recognition of we're choosing this marriage. We're choosing this partnership we're choosing our family again and again and again each year. And with that, it feels like we're building a deeper level of trust, a deeper level of acceptance, and then a whole lot more fun. Andrea, what are some unique issues that couples who own a business might need to address in these practices that we're talking about in their regular practices? Well, I think probably the biggest one is, you know, like that separation of church and state. When are we in marriage mode and when are we in business partner mode? And, you know, I think that is, you know, I imagine for work, you guys have a weekly meeting around like who, you know, who's on our podcast this week? What are we doing this week? What do we have going on? What do we have going on for um, over the next month? Um, You know, and then maybe kind of what do we have going on for this year? If There's like kind of bigger goals for your company, for your uh, careers. But then it's also to recognize, like, we're not just working. We also are living and playing and enjoying each other. And so, and cooking and cleaning and doing all of those other things. And so the, for couples who, you know, work together and run their business together, you really have to decide, you know, you know, are we going to, we could talk about this for the next hour over dinner and it will be a work dinner. But then, you know, when dinner is over, you know, we'll close our napkins, we'll start doing the dishes, and then let's move into our relationship, into our family, into our into our marriage in a different way. I think that's probably the trickiest thing. And I think a lot of couples have had to do this, whether they're work both working for Google or working, have their own business together. But with the pandemic and everybody working from home, that 
overlapping and work and um, and family getting merged together oh, became yeah. a humongous problem. Yeah, yeah. That I really um, was. I was glad that we had already had this set up. We have our home. Uh, we work out of our home, and mm-hmm. we have our business. But we've developed. We don't necessarily call it a balance, a blend, because I think there's no exact balance. There's sort of like. You know, you have a little bit of this. Sometimes there's going to be some overlap. Like you said, you're out to dinner, Mm -hmm. but you're talking stuff. But we do try to have just us time and then business time. And um, and doing those practices, you were talking, we are actually, we've been talking about doing a retreat, which seems kind of crazy for some people. Like we're a two-person visit. We want to get away from our house, away from the offices, and do a retreat to talk long-term plans for our our business life. So, um, yes. So yeah, it is. You do have to take stock, and you do have to plan, and you've got to find a way to blend the two sides of your life together when you work together, um, mm-hmm. and you also right. have a marriage. So, and what's so interesting, just about like when you guys work together in this way, like it's really fun. It's exciting. You're passionate about your work, and so it makes sense that you'd want to talk about it, um, and talk about it, and talk about it. But I think then you stop checking in and being like, well you know, how are you feeling? Or, you know, what are you thinking about in terms of um, your mom? Or, you know, I was worried about the dog. Or it's like you kind of miss each other in that way if you don't set a ta- set aside that time. Because work, it can be really inspiring and fun and exciting. Now, you're actually Absolutely. very, very uh, right. Because while we might spend time together a lot it may be consumed with work and then we do have to stop and and kind of just okay get into relationship question mode and how you're feeling and so sometimes it's like yeah we've spent a lot of time together but did we communicate as a couple or did we just totally communicate as business partners so we are Mm -hmm. you know we try to to find that and uh, make sure that we don't ignore either side of our relationship um we mentioned earlier glenn said hell yeah tell us about you've got something coming up um later this month we're we're recording this in january but the uh, podcast should be airing february 1st so on february 10th uh, you're doing a hell yeah challenge. Tell us a little bit about that. I am so excited about it, Jody. I think it's going to be amazing. It's a weekend. It's really, it's very simple. It's no, no nonsense. You basically will get a prompt every day and it's an invitation to take on an attitude of radical acceptance and infuse it with joy, infuse it with passion, but infuse it with heart and kind of not resisting anything, whether it's traffic, like, hell yeah, we're in traffic. I guess it means more time to sing together to these songs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or or like uh you want to go take a nap together. Hell yeah. Well that that or, you or, got me. Yeah, <laughs> the traffic I don't but, know about, but the taking a nap, hell I'm yeah. Sign up for that right now. <laughs> but but you know what's interesting is so often if you say you want to go take a nap together, most people are like, oh my God, no, I don't want to take a nap. I've got 12 different things I need to get done today. And then what ends up happening is somebody feels like rejected and hurt. And then the other person ends up feeling resentful that, oh, well, you have time to go take a nap, but I have these 12 things I have to get done today. And so there's this kind of weird disconnect that happens and it's super subtle. But if someone says, hey, do you want to go take a nap with me? You could say like, hell yeah, let's lay down together. I'm not sure if I'll be able to sleep, but let's lay down together. And then it would be in the in the reverse, like, um, and I need to run to Walgreens, and I need to pick up the dry cleaning. 
will you come with me? Hell yeah, let's do, let's do that first so we can really relax into the nap. This kind of came about with one of my couples um, who were having, they had a really rough weekend and neither one of them could just get excited for what the other person had to do. And they really missed each other. And it was super, super painful. And when I said, well, what if we did it this way? And we said, hell yeah, I'll sit here and watch the football game with you. That's how it came out. Like, I don't like football, but I'll put on my jersey and you love it. And I'll learn about it. And then will you sit and pack with me and talk with me while I pack? And once they got that piece, it was so interesting how much their connection strengthened, but how much less tension there was. Yeah, I can see that. I love to do that kind of stuff with Jody. Just little things that you wouldn't ordinarily associate with a big moment in your relationship. But I think that they add up to big moments for me. Yeah, like you want to go to Kroger? Hell yeah, we yeah. got a, not, not a sponsor. Yeah, if you're folding clothes, I'll come and help you, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, with your clothes and everything, or I'll just sit there and watch you work and talk. <laughs> I, I, and, you know, they've done, they've done research on um, healthy attachment in children and in adults and how many times you actually need to say yes to your children for them to feel healthy, a healthy attachment with you, and how many times you need to say yes to your partner for that healthy attachment to be there. With children, it was like 30%. And with your partner, it's 80%. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. This, uh, when so, you were talking about this, it reminded me, my sister and um, her sister-in-law uh, did a yes day for their mm-hmm. kids. And it kind of like there was a movie that they did yes day, and the kids, they act, asked for some odd things, but they were like, all right, as long as, within reason. They're like, it's a yes day. It kind of reminded me of that, but I yeah. didn't realize how much more couples needed it than kids. Yeah, it's incredible. And then everybody has a much better day, a much better weekend. Well, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is pretty awesome because you do, when you're first dating, you're all about impressing the person. So yeah, you will, like, I do remember, Glenn, you went with me shopping as something you don't do now but you went with me shopping we were you know i was like why did you go to you know pick up some shoes you're like oh i'll go with you because you're you're still we're still in the dating stage yeah but now that you're you know we've been married for um 18 years Uh so it's like we don't I, I, you know, I'm not upset that he doesn't want to go shopping with me. I love you like crazy, right. but I, it's shoes. Shoe shopping no. is not your jam. And I don't, I totally get that. Right. But every once in a while, it is kind of fun to say, all right, this is something I'm interested in. Why don't you, you know, come with me to do something? Or maybe you watch um, one of the, my, you know, Brit Box Mysteries or something like that, that is a little bit more, you know, those quaint, charming shows you might not like, but you're like, hell yeah. And then I might watch some sporting thing that you like and be the same but, like you know, enthusiastic. Uh-huh. But mm-hmm. what would be so interesting is for you, Glenn, if you took on that hell yeah attitude with going shoe shopping, you would be amazed at how freaking cool it is to go shoe shopping. How many different pairs of shoes are there are out there? I think we don't like going shoe shopping because we're constantly resisting it. And when we take out that resistance with everything, Everything flows in a different way and becomes really, really interesting. Yeah, you could gamify it. You could, <laughs> or you could like look. I may for, have to add a sport for, 
aspect or a sport component to it. I I hear what you're saying, and it sounds, in theory, it sounds like it would be really cool to try, but I... Just for a weekend. Come on. Just for one weekend. Do you want to go shoe shopping with me? Well, it would be such a big step for me. Oh, is that a pun? Uh, A step Ah. for you to go shoe shopping. I don't know if I have the soul for it. Uh, (laughs) Bite your tongue. Oh, will it never end? Will it never end, the puns? Well, that laces up the interview. And uh, we're glad, Andrea, we're so happy and glad that you were able to spend a few minutes with us. And we hope that uh, we can talk again uh, soon. This has been great. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope you guys join the challenge. Hell yeah. It's time for Let's Have Some Fun. Once again, here are your hosts, Jody and Glenn. Oh, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, always a great intro. Always. He does a great job. He is a great introist. He is a great introist. <laughs> all right. So for today's game, mm-hmm. I went to the source of all knowledge. Um, the my internet. childhood. Okay. <laughs> That, that you know what? The judges will accept that as well. Yeah. Of course they will. We are the judges. Yes. So, ding, ding. And I found an article from Parade Magazine, which I didn't even know still existed. It does? It does, apparently, online. Oh, wow. And they had 50 Valentine's trivia questions. Oh, is this going to be all 50 of them? No, I only picked four. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <sighs> but we will include a link in our show notes on Couples, Inc., podcast.com if you would like to see if you can answer all of it well you know it's actually the answer is like right below it so it's really not going to be a test but if you want to go and see but we'll include a link to this but i took but the four questions i thought that would be a challenge for you mr glenn okay do i is this like a deposition do i need to put my hand someplace (laughs) maybe (laughs) i'm gonna give you multiple choice so that'll make it easier. That means I have to take multiple depositions. Multiple depositions. Multiple swearing ins. Multiple swearing ins. I, I, I. All right. Question number one. About how many roses are sent for Valentine's Day each year? A, a. dozen. <laughs> I mean, that's what I usually do. That's a good answer. Judges will accept that. But that's not, I meant all of the roses. A dozen. Right. A dozen. Oh, a baker's dozen. So you oh, get, okay, yeah. Throw in the value Throw in the value, throw in the value like Okay. A, 25 million. Okay. B, 50 million. Hmm. C, 75 million. D, not sure, but hopefully none of them are cash on delivery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully for the Florist Association, who's not a sponsor, but... Well, and any boyfriend who's... Like hoping to not yeah. be in the doghouse, yeah, not cash on delivery. Yeah, so we'll bad. just give you those those three options: twenty five, fifty, or seventy five. What's wow. your answer? I'm I'm going to go with this is the land of excess most of the time, and especially on Valentine's Day, it seems like people just lose their minds. Mm-hmm. I'm included in the people. You are. Yeah, I'm going to say seventy five. No, fifty. Oh, I know it's sad. I'm disappointed. Only fifty, fifty million. I mean, come on, people. It's hard for me to imagine 50 million roses. And he, well, and I'm guessing that not all of them are a dozen because does it doesn't go into 50 evenly? 
Well, they say about. Oh, probably not. Yeah. So how many roses? About how many? So, but we'll 50 put a calculator million. on the website. We'll put it, yes. Yeah. So everyone can calculate. Yeah, show notes. Someone got a half rose. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Question number two. Who invented the first Valentine's Day candy box? Was it A, Milton S. Hershey, B, Domingo Ghirardelli, C, Richard Cadbury, or D, Thomas Edison? I'm going to go with Hershey. No, Cadbury. Richard Cadbury created the first Valentine's Day candy box. Although Thomas Edison did invent invent a lot of things, candy box was not one of them. Menlo Park milk chocolate (laughs) from Thomas Edison. (laughs) That would have been funny. I do wonder, though, if the first candy box had the explanation of what's inside or if they all had to just bite and then put one back. That is a good question. Because sometimes you get the ones that are like... But back then, back like they probably only had two years ago, they they ate weird stuff. They might have put meat inside the chocolate. <laughs> it was minced meat chocolate. <laughs> might have been old steel wool somewhere. They were trying to recycle, or you know, or throat lozenge chocolate, or or wait, maybe I don't know how far back this goes. Like, what is it? Heroin, Heroin was a big thing. Yeah. Cocaine, chocolate. Yeah. Okay, so so far, not good. All right. Sorry, let me finish this heroin chocolate <laughs> heroin that I was chocolate. chewing on. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sure, and I'm sure it was medicinal. Mm-hmm. All right. What candy, a Valentine's favorite, temporarily suspended production in 2019? Was it A, Sweethearts, B, Reese's Peanut Butter Hearts, C, Hershey Kisses, or D, Red Hots? What candy, a Valentine's favorite, temporarily suspended production in 2019? Why would they do it in 2019? I didn't look up the whole history, but I do remember this happening. Past is prelude, Jody. I know. You have to know why they did something to understand it. I I don't exactly know, but we will have to look that up, exactly why. Whether it was a pro- some kind of production issue, if they're going to stop, and then they decide to reissue or product. Shortage of or product. PR stunt, who knows. But I do remember this was a big deal then. I don't think that Red Hots are a popular Valentine's candy, so I'm going to strike that one out. Okay. I think it was the Reese's Chocolate Hearts. Um, no, it was Sweethearts. And I do remember there was a thing about it, but I cannot figure out, I can't remember why there was a thing about the They probably had a chalk shortage. They could have. Because it does, it is pretty much chalk. I keep chewing this and it doesn't taste good, but it says love you. So, okay. This be mine chalk is somewhat palatable. Mm. Be mine chalk. Okay, final question. The final chance to save. Well, you've already lost. There's no saving this now, Right. Okay. From where was the oldest known Valentine's Day message sent? A, a battlefield. B, a prison. C, a hospital. D, a ship. (laughs) Those first two are kind of... I mean, it's got to be one of those, though, because that's the last place <laughs> from where that the you would oldest expect. known. The oldest and I'll give known. you a hint it happened in 1415. Well, I was a young man, and uh, <laughs> I, I remember sending one, but it, I don't think that it reached the right. I think I sent it to a prison. I got the address <laughs> wrong. But back then, you put your stamp on it and you just hoped it got to the right place. I don't think they had stamps then. You just you licked the envelope. Well, they didn't have envelopes. You. 
Kiss the pigeon and let it fly. You just chewed on the be mine chalk. Yes, and lick the pigeon. Lick the pigeon. So it'll stick. <laughs> All right. So from where was the oldest known Valentine's Day message sent? I'm going to say from the battlefield. No, prison. The Duke of Orleans apparently wrote to his wife when he was imprisoned in the Tower of London in 1415, and he referred to his wife as his Valentine. Now, I have no idea if the... Where did he get that? Huh? Where did he get that word? I don't know. But my question is, at the end, did he include the statement, wait for me on the outside? (laughs) This assuring his street cred. Thanks for listening to Couples, Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. We drop new episodes the first and third Wednesday of each month, but to make sure you don't miss a show, follow us wherever fine podcasts are published. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to support the podcast, share it with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating or review. And please visit our website, couplesincpodcast.com. That's couplesincpodcast.com. To learn more about us, review show notes, or leave us a message. Until next time.